From points across California, you're listening to the Disneyland edition of the Diz Unplugged. This is the Diz Unplugged Disneyland edition, episode 242 for the week of January 23rd, 2014. The Diz Unplugged Disneyland edition is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at www.dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello everyone and welcome to the show. I'm your host Tom Bell and I'm joined by Art Disneyland team, Nancy Johnson, Mary Jo Mulata Willie, Michael Bowling, and Tony Spatel. In this week's show we have a last minute personalized planning segment with our guest Lisa Kramer and Michael celebrates the 20th anniversary of Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin. All that plus this week's news, roundtable rapid fire, and our Diz Sports Thread of the Week on this edition of the Diz Unplugged. Hello everyone. Hey there. Hey. Hi there. Hi there. Hello. This month has gone by fast. Yes, it has. Never mind, it's still Christmas. Oh, stop. Any housekeeping? I do. Go ahead. Um, we've been talking about Dapper Day um, that's going to be happening, and I just wanted to give a little bit more information about it. It's happening February 22nd and 23rd um, at Disneyland, and they have a lot of stuff happening, and the actual day is going to be on the 23rd, where everybody gets dressed up. But on Saturday, they're going to be having other things um, in preparation, including the um, Charles Phoenix Retro Disneyland Slideshow. And I got my ticket. Did you get yours yet, Michael? Not yet. Okay. I. Um, it's going to be held in the Grand Californian Hotel Sequoia Ballroom. Oh, fun. I know our friend Sherry's going to be there. I'm sorry, Nancy. I said, oh, fun. I think that's the same oh, yeah. hotel ro- ballroom I got married in. You got married at Disneyland. Wait, wait, wait. we got it. We got to know. I haven't heard. I didn't know you were married. (laughs) But um, I think the response is getting almost as old as the commentary. (laughs) (laughs) Um, His show is going to be at Saturday, three p.m. Tickets are twenty nine dollars, and we'll have a link in our show notes to the Dapper Day site uh, for anybody who wants to get those tickets. Also, um, there's a free discussion at 7 p.m. that night on this is saturday the 22nd is with nathaniel adams who's the author and rose callahan of the book i am dandy the return of the elegant gentleman and they're going to be talking about um their book and and debt being dapper etc and so i'm going to go to that because i would like to see what's dapper day all about so um that's going to be at 7 p.m is complimentary and then on Sunday, they have, I was reading the thread on the Discords, and everybody's talking about getting all dolled up and everything. Well, on Sunday from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m., they have hair and makeup services. So they'll, they, you know, if you go dressed up, they will do your hair for you and makeup, which Tony, I thought let's was go. really cool. I know I'm there. Are, you guys, would, <laughs> I would definitely call you very dapper if you do that. Yes, very dapper. Um, <laughs> you call me Darren. Very dapper, no matter what. Please. Okay. Um, and then Sunday, they're having an after party, 8 p.m. to 2 a.m., um, with live music with the Fat Cat Swingers, and that's $15. And that's going to be upstairs at the Jazz Kitchen in downtown Disney. And then on Sunday, I know I'm kind of jumping around, but these are like set times that they have these events. Um, 2 to 4 p.m. is going to be the Mark Twain Mixer. So if anybody's there at the parks and they want to see a lot of people dressed up, 
Um, and they really do look nice. Go check out the Mark Twain um, before two, four p. from two to four p.m. and you'll see that there'll be um, a lot of people dressed up. And then from eight p.m. to close of the park, they have the Dapper Derby, which is a meetup for ride of the. I guess they're gonna have. They say, um, oh, if the Dapper Derby is to ride on the carousel. So everybody's going to be riding on the carousel at that time. Um, they have 68 horses, and they're probably going to be all full. But this is such a fun event every year. My daughter has taken part in it. I think Nancy's also um, been to Dapper Day. No. Um, actually, our, I've never. Oh, no, you was, she, was, she was at Goth Days. I did oh, Bad she went to the Goth Days. Okay, Bad Day. <laughs> um, our friend Stephen Lim, he goes with a group of his friends, and he has pictures on the Discords also on our Disneyland board. And he's been on the show before. And he looks really nice. And our friend Sherry also. So um, take a look at the Disneyland board for the Dapper Day thread. See where specific meets are going to be. And then also the Dapper Day um, website for these other events. It looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. And every year everybody just has a great time. And they, like I said before, they look so I hate using the word dapper again, but they really do look nice. It's back to an old time at Disneyland when people used to get dressed up for everything. That's it. Cool. Will I be there? Uh, I, I will. Go. This year I'm going to go. Yeah, Carol and I will be yes. there. I'm going to, Now, are you getting dressed up, Michael? I am, but I'm dressing up like a dapper Dan. I have my costume. Oh, that's cool. Very cute. Will you sing for us? <laughs> I might be ejected <laughs> from the park. <laughs> oh, come only, on. Only the, if you do. only the Disneyland cats would enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be so funny to see you and then have these cats in the background howling. <laughs> that would be so cute. I'm, I'm going as a spectator only, but I'm looking forward to it. Oh, come on. You could probably find a cute little 50s place. Come on up here to Burbank where they have tons of that stuff. Yeah. You could find an we'll adorable see. little dress. I know the exact vintage shop to take you to, too. <laughs> nice. Uh, I might take you up on that. We'll see. And I tell you, vintage is in right now. Well, consider going, Nancy. That'd be fun to go with you and, and the family. And Betty Page hair on you. That'd be cute. That'd be kind of freaky. Oh, come on. <laughs> Any other housekeeping? Don't forget chat nights, Wednesday nights, 9 p.m. Also, if you want to email us, you can email us at dlpodcast.wdwinfo.com if you have any questions for us. If you want to get links to anything we talk about, you can go to disunplugged.com. You'll also find links to any archive shows or anything, anything else we talked about. Um... If nobody has anything else, let's head over to Tony with the news. Vacation home rental regulations are shaping up in Anaheim. Tourists are spotted filing in and out of a stylish 1911 Craftsman house two miles from Disneyland. And after checking into their vacation home, the overnight guests have, wait, have waiting for them brochures about local history and a basket filled with chocolate, marshmallows, and graham crackers to make s'mores in the backyard fire pit. We wanted to offer families a home away from home, said Candy Bees rents her abode to out-of-town visitors during the summer. I'm giving people a chance to stay in the real Anaheim, which isn't just a bunch of hotels in Disneyland, she said. I love helping people have a fabulous vacation by providing them with a memorable place to stay. 
Bees is part of a growing legion of homeowners who rent to tourists looking for a comfortable place to stay. The trend has flourished in recent years thanks to websites dedicated to linking homespun innkeepers with out-of-towners who eschew hotels for the comforts of home. Anaheim officials are now considering a series of measures to regulate houses and condominiums that double as short-term rentals, more than half of which are within a mile of the Disneyland Resort. City officials who keep tabs on the homes by looking at the websites say say that there are more than 200 in town. If approved by the city council in March, regulations would include an annual $250 fee to cover the city's costs for monitoring and inspecting the properties. Assistant City Manager Greg Garcia said during a recent council workshop, homeowners would have to display city permits and warn guests about noise restrictions between 10 p.m. and 7 a.m. Guests must stay at least three consecutive nights with no more than four people per bedroom in the house. Proprietors who violate the rules would pay a proposed fine of $100 to $500. Garcia said city officials will determine whether to collect bed taxes from these short-term rental homes, just as they do from hotels. At 15%, Anaheim's transient occupant tax is the largest source of revenue for the city's coffers. It's becoming popular because we are a global destination that attracts families wanting to visit the resort, Garcia said of the trend. It's important we know who's out there and how they're operating so we can deal with any issues that come up. Other Orange County cities, including Seal Beach and Newport Beach, have similar laws. Anaheim officials have spent nearly a year crafting the proposed regulations with the newly created Anaheim Rental Alliance, a group of 70 homeowners who operate short-term rentals. The group supports regulations. Members of the group said they have an incentive to keep their properties maintained if they want to attract renters. Many are in the business to either supplement their retirement or to put a child through college. This is entrepreneurship at its best, says Francis Noteboom, a co-founder of the Alliance who operates short-term rental homes. We want to protect the integrity of the neighborhood so we will not do anything to upset our neighbors, Noteboom said. We want to blend in. Some people who live near short-term rental properties, like Gary Bloomfield, have complained about noisy renters and raised concerns about a business operating in a residential area. Once a vocal opponent of short-term rentals, Bloomfield said he's softening his stance because his neighbor is doing a better job at screening quiet tenants. It's gotten better since the city started working on this, but I still wish I had a consistent neighbor living next door to me, said Bloomfield, who has lived for 30 years in a, mile, in a home one mile from Disneyland. The guests seem to be more congenial now, Bloomfield said. My neighbor is listening to my concerns and being more selective about who he's renting to. Discuss. That's going to way affect the pricing, isn't it? That's now you can save money by staying at a, at a rental home. Yeah, what my concern was, even though I, if I was in the neighborhood, I would kind of feel the same way. But if I was the owner of the house, I would feel the opposite. Right. Uh, was... The one thing where it said, let me find it again, um, that they would have to stay at least three consecutive nights. I don't... Yeah. I mean, it's $250 fee, so it's not like they're going to raise prices too much. Well, no, but, but if, they, if they're talking about the 15% sets, uh, Yes, price. you're right. That's going to... Then there goes their whole advantage. Yeah. And that includes the condos, like in our last episode, talking about the threat of the week, where... Yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. That's how. Yeah, uh, how would they track them? I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, like how would they know through the websites and look for all the rental properties? Yeah, I know. Like, how would you know that I'm not? Yeah, why don't you know? Like, how do you know I'm not doing it? You know, right? Exactly. Interesting. You got the but money they, I left for you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Speaking. Yeah. How about my fifteen percent bed tax? Time <laughs> 
And in our second story, uh-huh. John Wayne Airport, hungry for flights to Mexico and new direct service to Hawaii in the Washington, D.C. area, is offering more than $1.3 million of incentives to attract airlines to those and other destinations. The Orange County Board of Supervisors, which oversees John Wayne Airport, unanimously approved a package ranging from $40,000 to $300,000 in rent incentives for airlines. The supervisors approved a $300,000 direct flight terminal rent incentive for an airline to provide service to one of the three airports in the Washington area. Baltimore Washington International Airport, Dulles, Dulles International Airport, or Reagan Washington National Airport. The flight must be at least five days a week for 12 months beginning in 2014. Supervisor Todd Spitzer was skeptical about the need. You're going to tell me there's not a market to get to Washington, D.C., and we have to pay $300,000 to get there? He asked John Wayne Airport Director Alan Murphy. Murphy said yes, and that the incentive would more than pay for itself. Airport spokeswoman Courtney Weirsiach said via email that incentives are the price of admission to lure new air service. The incentive package also offers $50,000 for an airline to provide one flight to Hawaii two days per week for at least nine months during 2014. Gotta get to Alani from Disneyland. Uh-huh. Orange County has not had a direct flight to Hawaii since Aloha Airlines went bankrupt in March 2008. Orange County travelers repeatedly have listed Hawaii as one of their major travel destination choices. Warsiot said there were no immediate candidates to provide the Washington Hawaii service. The package also includes $900,000 in terminal rent credits for Southwest and AirTran to continue to provide flights to Mexico, which began last year. Because Mexico is a new international service, John Wayne must pay for providing customs processing for those flights until the federal government determines the service is significant and sustainable enough to warrant covering <laughs> the costs. John nice. Wayne Airport... They keep saying John Wayne applied, and I have a hard time not throwing the word airport in there because John Wayne's a human. Yeah. Well, was. John Wayne Airport applied last month to be designated a port of entry, which would require the federal government to pay the cost of customs. Until that happens, airport officials argued... The need to continue the $300,000 for rent credits for the Mexico City, Cabo San Lucas, and Guadalajara flights to be competitive with airports like Los Angeles International and Ontario International. This is particularly important after the low-cost Mexican national airline Volaris announced that it will start flights to Guadalajara from the more centrally located Ontario International Airport in April. And that's the news. Thank you, Tony. Time for rapid fires. Let's start with Michael. Okay, well, at the National Board of Review dinner last week, Meryl Streep made headlines when she criticized Walt Disney, accused him of being a gender bigot, a racist, and an anti-Semite, whilst presenting the Best Actress Award to Emma Thompson for her role as P.L. Travers in the Walt Disney film Saving Mr. Banks. And I thought that since we talk so much about Walt Disney on this show, that we should address some of those comments and perhaps set the record straight. So the accusations of Walt Disney being a racist or an anti-Semite have been around for decades, and a lot of people who don't bother to do the research have repeated the accusations without bothering to check the facts. Nobody really knows where these accusations originated from, but some Disney scholars believe they may have originated in a union smear campaign against Walt Disney during the 1941 strike against the studios. But there's plenty of evidence from those who knew and worked with Walt Disney that he was not a racist or an anti-Semite. Now, one of the things that Meryl Streep said was that, and her quote is, some of Walt Disney's associates reported that Walt Disney didn't really like women. Ward Kimball, who was one of his chief animators, one of the original Nine Old Men, creator of the Cheshire Cat, the Mad Hatter, Jimmy Cricket, said of Disney, he didn't trust women or cats. 
Well, I was reading um, a statement by Ward Kimball's official biographer, Amid Amiri, and he responded, I read thousands of pages of Ward's writings, including his personal diaries, and I can say unequivocally that Walt, Ward, um, Walt, that, I'm sorry, that Ward never felt Walt Disney didn't really like women. In a quote, Ward claims that Walt was suspicious of women, but I don't know the context of that statement. That's the entirety of the quote published in Neil Gabler's biography of Walt Disney, and it was stripped of all its original nuance and meaning. We can only assume there was something that Kimball said that preceded and followed his soundbite-worthy statement. The fact that Kimball listed both women and cats in the same sentence suggests that he was being playful and facetious, a reflection of his personality. Now, Streep's accusations stem from a 1938 letter written to a prospective employee, and Streep read from it. Streep read from it during her speech. Um, Dear Miss Ford, your letter of recent date has been received in the inking and painting department for reply. Women do not do any of the creative work in connection with preparing for cartoons for the screen, as that task is performed entirely by young men. For this reason, girls are not considered for the training school. The only work open to women consists of tracing the characters on clear celluloid sheets with India ink and then filling in the tracing on reverse side with paint according to directions. Now, this was actually a basic form letter that was copied almost verbatim from the studio's 1938 employee policies handbook. This policy was not unique to the Disney studio. It was a universal policy exercised by every single animation studio during the 1930s. And the hierarchy was always the same. The vast majority of women worked in ink and paint. Men worked exclusively in story, art, direction, and animation. Despite this official policy of the Disney studio being that women would work only in ink and paint, Walt ignored his own company's policy. He always promoted women into different positions based on their skill sets. In the 30s and 40s, dozens of women worked in traditionally male positions. In speeches made to his employees on February 10th and 11th in 1941, Walt observed that women artists could fully equal their male counterparts and were being included in his studio animation training program. He said, if a woman can do the work as well, she is worth as much as a man, he declared. The girl artists have the right to expect the same chances for advancement as men, and I honestly believe they may eventually contribute something to this business that men never would or could. As a percentage of his employees, more women worked in non-ink and paint artistic positions at Disney between the 30s and 50s than any other Golden Age animation studio. Meryl Streep also said he formed and supported an anti-Semitic industry lobbying group. Now, Streep's referring to Walt's involvement in the formation of the Motion Picture Alliance for Preservation of American Ideals, or the MPA. And it was not a fringe organization, nor was its purpose anti-Semitism. It was enacted by the movie industry's conservative elite. Um, and its membership included a who's who of Hollywood, among them directors Cecil B. DeMille, John Ford, King Veter, Victor Fleming, actors John Wayne, Gary Cooper, Ginger Rogers, Clark Gable, Barbara Stanwyck, Robert Montgomery, George Murphy, who later became a U.S. Senator for California, and Ronald Reagan, who later became President of the United States and gossip colonist Hedda Hopper. When the MPA was formed in 1944, of which Disney became its first vice president, its agenda was spelled out clearly in the group's mission statement. And basically it was to preserve the American way of life, the liberty and freedom, which generations before us have fought to create and preserve. And it was because of that era 
um, they were th there was a fear of communism um, infiltrating the government, and so th this this conservative organization was formed to try to fight that, and they were going to use their role in the movie industry to, to in an attempt to fight communism. Um, so labeling the MPA an anti-Semitic organization was a tactic that was used to attack it. And while there may have been anti-Semites in the group, it was not inherently anti-Semitic organization, nor was that Walt's reason for being involved in the group. Walt was sensitive to people's feelings, composer Robert Sherman once said. He hated to see people mistreated or discriminated against. One time, Richard and I overheard a discussion between Walt and one of his lawyers. This attorney was a real bad guy, didn't like minorities. He said something about Richard and me, and he called us these Jew boys writing these songs. Well, Walt defended us, and he fired the lawyer. Walt was unbelievably great to us. Artist Joe Grant, who is also Jewish, agrees. Walt was not anti-Semitic, Grant told an interviewer. Some of the most influential people to studio were Jewish. It's much ado about nothing. I never once had a problem with him in that way. That myth should be laid to rest. Mayor Minda, a Jewish neighbor of Walt's in Kansas City, didn't remember any evidence whatsoever of anti-Jewish feelings in Walt or the Disney family. And when Sharon Disney dated a young Jewish man, Walt and Lillian didn't voice any objection. Walt Disney was a frequent contributor to Jewish charities, including the Yeshiva College and the Jewish Home for the Aged. Also in 1955, Walt Disney was honored as Man of the Year by the Beverly Hills Lodge of B'nai B'rith, the oldest continually operating Jewish service organization which fights anti-Semitism all over the world. Walt was also awarded a recognition from Hadassah, a Jewish women's organization that empowers youth in Israel and America. And these awards can be seen in the lobby of the Walt Disney Family Museum. No respected Disney historian has ever uncovered evidence that Walt Disney was racist and they have researched every aspect of his life. Floyd Norman, an African-American story artist, also rejects the racism accusation. He recalls that during the 1960s, several civil rights leaders tried to force the Disney studio to hire more minorities. The funny part, he said, was that minorities weren't knocking at the gates to get in. The jobs were there if they wanted them and if they were qualified. It's like the old ruse that Walt didn't hire Jews, which was also ridiculous. There were plenty of Jews at Disney. Personally, I never felt any prejudice from Walt. Walt Disney was not a saint. Walt was a human being who made mistakes and had many ups and downs throughout his life. His daughter, Diane, emphasized this many times, stating, What made him human is what makes you human. If you'd like to know more about the life of Walt Disney, I highly encourage you to pay a visit to the Walt Disney Family Museum or log on to their website. You can also submit questions about Walt Disney through the website or via email at storyboard at wdfmuseum.org. So hopefully I've helped to set the record straight on Ms. Streep's comments. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. Uh, Mary Jo. Well, right now they're seeing this uh, up this surge, I guess, in whales that are migrating down south. Mm -hmm. And um, so whale watching is really good right now. And so I wanted to let everybody know that Newport Landing, which is fairly close to Disneyland, to the Disneyland Resort, um, offers whale watching. And the prices go from $32 on the weekdays and $32 for adults. $26 for um, ages 12 and under. And on weekends, it's $36 for adults and $30 for those 12 and under. And the cruises um, go two times a day. They either, I'm um, sorry, 
there's four cruises at port uh, from, let me see, Monday through Friday there's three cruises. And they leave at 10 a.m., 1 p.m., and 2.30 p.m. Saturdays and Sundays there's four cruises that leave at 9.30, noon, 2.30, and 5 p.m. So if people are coming to the Disneyland Resort, they're looking for something um, part of our California culture, they might want to look into going on a whale-watching um, excursion. Cool. Whales the are links, cool. Yeah, pardon me? Whales are cool. They're, it's yeah. pretty neat to see. Everybody should own one. <laughs> <laughs> as long as they... I saw one uh, a clip that said uh, there was a boat, and then this whale is leaping out of the water and is doing a trust fall, like falling backwards mm-hmm. on the boat. Nice. Yeah. But um, there's not really a danger of that. That was just a fun fun clip. But um, I've seen them from Point Vicente, which is in Palos Verdes. That's a little bit of a distance. There are different... If people don't want to pay to go on a well-watching boat, where you can also see dolphins and seals and stuff like that, those are really cool. You can always also go to Laguna Beach. They have cliffs over there. Mm-hmm. And to look at the whales, or to Palos Verdes and the and those cliffs over there to see the whales. And Palos Verdes would be if you're coming in from LAX Airport and you wanted to do some whale watching at Point Vicente, they um, log in how many whales they've seen that day, and there's always people there with binoculars and telescopes and stuff like that. In Laguna Beach, I don't think you have quite that, but you do want to be on a higher elevation. Awesome, thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool, thanks, Marjo. Uh, my turn next. I want to talk about something we don't talk about a lot, and that's the entertainment that's available at the House of Blues. Oh, very good. Um, in addition to the weekly gospel brunch, the House of Blues features newer artists, tribute bands, and what was once big name entertainment. Um, I looked at the schedule and picked out a couple names that I kind of recognize. Rat, Warrant, Queensryche. Yes. Weasel Zappa. Queensryche, really? Yep. Queensryche, uh, you're Weasel in a Zappa's coming. He's actually doing like a guitar, like a class or something first and then a concert. Wow. Um, so, I mean, if you're, if that, if you're here for a while and you're, you're into that kind of music, that's, that seemed like what is mostly playing there. Uh, I'll put a link to the schedule in the show notes and take a look at it, because that could be a nice evening out during your Disneyland vacation. Nice. All right, Nancy. Okay, I'm giving the usual update on merchandise-type things, which are basically Wonderland Gallery and Disney Gallery events. Um, This weekend, there's three different artists' appearances this weekend. Um, On January 25th, um, one of the artists commonly seen around uh, Disneyland, Yakovetic, is... um, is uh, on hand um, from nine to eleven to sign his to sign and introduce his latest piece, which is called Mickey's Dream Suite. And if you've ever wanted to see inside the infamous Dream Suite above Pirates, it's a really nice um, image of Mickey standing at the fireplace, the magical fireplace. Um, now, also, um, on both the 25th and 26th, um, M. Andonia, um, Maria's Arena's 
uh, I, I'm sorry, Maria Zarian is the handbag designer for that company, and she'll be at Wonderground Gallery from 1 to 4 p.m. It's kind of an interesting art style, um, skulls, roses, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then also famed Disney artist Bob Elias will be at the Disneyana store inside Disneyland. Right, That's right there in the bank um, as you come in under the, under the train station. And he'll be there 10 to 4 on both the 25th and the 26th. So that's some new stuff. And also, since we're in the merchandise universe, let me say that there is a pretty snazzy a new cupcake featured in still for another week or two this month the gourmet i mean sorry not cupcake gourmet apple it is um covered in caramel rolled in crushed they call them chocolate sandwich cookies we know them as oreos and drizzled with peanut butter it looks Ooh. pretty darn decadent so it's only going to be around for just a little bit more but hey what the heck Get it while you can. Have you seen the trash can salt and pepper shakers that are coming out? I really yes. want Oh my those. gosh. They- there's some cute new merchandise that's going to be coming up. Oh, also there's a new, um, in February, there's going to be a new introduction of um, the beautifully Disney line, the Pop of Mickey. Uh, I'm sorry, the Pop of Minnie. So it's all going to be Minnie Mouse themed makeup. And there's some also some steampunk stuff coming in February. Yeah, but for folks Very that nice. haven't seen these There's salt and pepper shakers, they're the themed trash cans from the different lands around Disneyland. They're really cool. They are re- yeah, they're really well done. There's lots of new stuff. There's new shirts coming. Um, if you go to the Disney Parks blog, they just did a focus on uh, California Adventures um, Rapids shop um, right next to Grizzly River Rapids. Yeah, Russian Russian River. Yeah, the Russian River Outfitters. And yeah, some go. great themed merchandise to that attraction. So we're mm-hmm. seeing a, a real resurgence of themed merchandise coming along. Excellent. There are some blogs for all that on the on the Diz, so. Cool. Tony? Okay. New Year's is not over for everybody. What? No. <laughs> Happy Lunar are New Year. Are you still making resolutions? No. <laughs> I'd have, I know I don't. I stopped Just making resolutions after Y2K. Um, Happy Lunar New Year. Join a joyous tribute to the time-honored traditions, festivities, and ceremonies of this multicultural holiday. Ring in the Lunar New Year with a celebration at Disney California Adventure Park starting in late January 2014. Come commemorate the moment when both the sun and the moon begin their journey for yet another year. It's a perfect time to focus on family and offer wonderful wishes for the future as well. Over the course of this cultural event, certain areas of Disney California Adventure Park will be decked out with all kinds of festive decor and a diverse variety of continental colors. Stroll along walkways where awe-inspiring ornamental lanterns have been woven into the walls for all passers-by to enjoy. And marvel as you behold banners and signs high in the sky, each presented in English, Chinese, Korean, and Vietnamese, wishing one and all a Happy New Year. There will also be entertainment for young and old. Whether you visit by yourself or you're there within your entire family, be sure to catch an impressive array of authentic performers and be on the lookout for a few familiar Disney characters dressed in their best and ready to take part in all the fun. So for all of the, and that's when we get some more information about the actual um, entertainment schedule, we will make sure to pass that along. But know that yep, definitely. Excuse me. 
Yes, definitely. Oh, I thought it was like, oh, my phone. Um, so um, know that they're celebrating it again this year, and it'll start in late January. So something to be. Yeah, it should be should be the the last week in January into February, so the thirty first through like February second. Yeah. So just and because I know sometimes a lot of my rapid fires seem to be, hey, tomorrow. So I wanted to make sure that there was. You planning ahead this time? Yeah, I plan ahead a couple weeks. All right, thank you, Tony. That will do it for rapid fire. Let's go to Mary Jo for our thread of the week. This week we have a thread from the Chapman Six, and she writes, "Best counter service when it's busy." I wonder what the best choices are for counter service when it's busy that have a shorter wait. I'm going to wait for a less busy day to go to the little red wagon, as I'm sure the wait is longer on a busy day, as we all know. When the parks are super crowded, does it make more sense to eat at a less busy counter service or make reservations for table service? Will I wait longer for my reservation when the parks are busy? So before going to the other dizzers and see where they're close, I wanted to go around our, um, around California and ask all of you what your recommendation is for um, best counter service. Let's say it's a Saturday during um, Martin Luther King weekend. And it's going to be busy. Hmm. Is this a Disneyland or Disney California Adventure? I don't think it really matters. Um, let's just say the Disneyland Resort. Either Paradise part. Garden not, not, Paradise not Garden Grill. Paradise Garden Grill for the tongue. That's never busy. Uh, Actually, both of those both of those are usually fairly not crowded. Fairly yeah. not crowded. Great grammar. <laughs> Why don't we Why don't we recommend a, a, a counter service at either park, and then what your preference is? So, Paradise Grill at California Adventure. What about Disneyland? What would you recommend? Gosh, it's hard to say. Um, I don't know how. how yeah. Pizza. Uh, <laughs> stop. Um, how How busy is is Hungry Bear? No, it can get busy. I'm just thinking because it's so it's far the out there that it might be, not be as busy as that's, things that are closer. That's to the, the one I was thinking of, too. Harbor Galley is my favorite for Disneyland as far as not busy. People kind of walk right by it. I agree with you. And you and can get the same bread bowls. Bread bowls, salads. Yeah. And, and the lobster rolls now. Lobster yeah. rolls. And then for California Adventure, Nancy, what would you say? Um... I have a tendency to agree about the availability of Paradise Garden Grill, but you know what else? The Lucky Fortune Cookery often doesn't have a lot of lines either. That's a good yeah, one. The one that, the one that has a line in that area is the is the is um the baker is the um, Par- uh, I was, Paradise I was Cafe. thinking Boudin's. the cafe. Yeah. Yes, yeah. The, yeah, the bakery. The bakery has yeah. a line. Pacific yeah. Wharf Cafe. Cafe. Yes, but between all of us, we'll come up with the name. Yeah, the, the Mexican the Mexican place and the Chinese place are are good. It's it's the bread bowl that yeah have the big line. I like Pacific Wharf because and the daiquiris you can you can get oh the daiquiris are good too because um, well speaking That's of daiquiris they've got the they have the beer wagon over there too so you can that get Mexican a, or Chinese yeah the beer wagon though has more of a line there's always somebody at the beer wagon I like that you can get a variety over there. What about you, Tony? Well, I was going to say the same ones. I I can't. Um, I have to say something different just to say something different. I agree with Harbor Galley. It's never crowded, and for quality, they've got good food. I mean, there's not a lot, but if you like what they have, and then I was going to say, Hungry Bear, except that it's crowded. 
And Do you think Hungry Bear is crowded? I think it is. Yeah. It can be ever since they fixed the menu. Well, yeah, and the fact that it's the only when you're that far back, you just want to go there. You don't want to have to go all the way back out to go eat. Like, let's say you have a fast pass for Splash Mountain, or you know, or that's it. But um, I mean, it's. I think it seems to be crowded. I kind of like for Disneyland the uh, Riverbell Terrace, only because if you eat there, if somebody would rather have the skewers from Bengal Barbecue, they can go through there through, through the restaurant. To yeah, Bengal but isn't, isn't it crowded though? I mean, line. Mm. It's air conditioning. Okay, we're talking about on a crowded day. Yeah. Um, I think I'm going to go with you guys and either say Hungry Bear, I agree with that, and or Rancho Zocalo. I've never oh, had there a you go. Yeah. over there. Good point. And Michael, for California Adventure, what were you thinking? I was thinking Pacific Wharf Cafe. I, or I'm, I'm sorry, just the Pacific Wharf Ferry in general. I was I agreed with what Tom had said. That was my first thought. But I always find myself heading over to Pacific Wharf because there's just so many things to choose from. And um, and I thought of Hungry Bear because it seems like for all the counter services, they have the quickest turnaround. In True. that it t- they seem to get your food to you faster, and I don't know. It's it's easy to find a table there. You might have to go, you might have to go downstairs. But it seems like there's not a shortage of seating there. I like downstairs better anyway because you, you're near the ducks. Mm-hmm. You're near the river. Okay, nice. I want to throw a twist. What do we? What do you guys think is the most crowded in either park? Well, that's a good one. And actually, just to throw in, Pizza Court sometimes is a really good... Um, yeah, when it's really crowded, it's nice to go in there to get their salads or pasta and then go inside... There's a lot of seating area. Except that's probably the most crowded. Crowded and unorganized. (laughs) Yeah, because it's really hard to get through there. I hate hate being in there when it's really crowded because it's like, because everybody, people will think it's one big line, but there's actually a line for the salad, a line for the pasta, a line for the pizza, and it just gets confusing. And the egress is kind of hard out of there, too, because you're walking through tables and stuff. Yep. Okay. Most crowded. Okay, guys, what do you think? Um, California Adventure. Ooh, most crowded. For, for me, California Adventure Taste Pilots Grill always has a line. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. I rarely go over there. And it's ca- I think it's kind of tied with the Pacific Wharf Cafe, frankly, because mm-hmm. the the mechanics of getting in and out of Pacific Wharf Cafe, there's not that much of a queue. I mean, the queue inside is really condensed and getting out of there is kind of weird. So what are the recommendations on the board? Except they have um, an express line. At, at We haven't even thought about that. Pacific Wharf Cafe has that corner express line. If you just want a bowl of soup, there's like two or three things you can order on that express line. Oh, that's nice. And then there's always Nancy's recommendation of ordering the soup separate from the bread bowl so you can Munch on the bread throughout the day. Oh, yeah. I like that. You have to. Yeah, she she orders it in a little cup, and then yeah. the bread's on the side. So and then, then can just... if I could have like eight pounds of butter, I'd be. <laughs> yeah, actually, all you oh have, I gosh. ask him for a big handful of butter, and then they give me butter. A handful. And then we just wander around the park <laughs> she, with it. With butter in one hand <laughs> and bread in the other. It's yeah, in my pocket. And happy they, children. 
And they eat the butter first, and then they eat the out of her hand. So, <laughs> so what do the boards say? Okay, so on the boards, um, there's actually a really good recommendation that um, if for those who like the red wagon corn dog, a lot those of us who like those corn dogs know that that line can get crazy. And um, Disneyland 1951, who posts a lot on the boards, says um, recommends going to the Stage Door Cafe in Frontierland and getting one there. Same corn dog, shorter lines, and um, faster service. Really? So that was one. Yeah. So I, I've got, Who knew? I just, I just like getting them. Well, Tom they have the knew. same corn dogs at Corn Dog Castle too, right? Yeah. Well, not only that, they have the same corn dog, plus they have the hot uh-huh. link corn dogs. Yep. Which I haven't had yet, but I heard that they're good. Um, again, the Hungry Bear is another one that people are are recommending. Um, we have several of those. Jolly Holiday, Corn Dog Castle, Pacific War. Um, another one for Stage Door Cafe from the Chapman Six. Whitewater Snacks at Grand Californian. Who knew that one? Uh, me, me, me. me. <laughs> um. Uh, a lot of people are saying Stage Door Cafe. I've I've seen lines in Stage Door Cafe though. But they've no, got but four lines, so it goes quick. But it, ahead, that Nancy. line, there's only like one per room for one or two people inside yeah. the thing. So no, those lines are. I mean, weird. if you've got a line, that's because there's only like one or two. If if you're walking up to the door, there's only one or two people in ahead of you. And also at, at um, this going back to Riverbell Terrace, they have. On busy days, they have both lines going in this cafeteria style. So it goes pretty quickly because they just scoop the food, whatever you're mm-hmm. going to eat. And so those lines are quick and, and they're pretty good in there. But there's some more also if people would like to read it. So, again, the name of this thread is Best Counter Service When It's Busy. Uh, for those of you who have some recommendations, please join the thread. Or if you'd like to read what everybody else is saying, um, go to the link at the end in our show notes. Excellent. Thank you, my Joe. Thank you, team. That is going to do it for this segment of the Disney Unplugged. Be sure to catch all of our other Disneyland shows this week. And, of course, we'll be back again with you next week. Until then, remember, Disneyland is always more magical when it's shared. Thanks for listening.